And now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. So this verse that I just read gives the answer to the question. But maybe you're wondering, well, what's the question? Well, the question is in Proverbs 31, verse 10, which John just read. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. In the Bible, officially in Bible times, there was one woman in the Bible who is called virtuous. And who was that? Now, I would just quickly say that there, have been, there are many godly, wise, um, able women who are highlighted in various parts of the Bible. Think with me about a few of them here. There's Noah's wife and Sarah and Rebecca and Jochebed and Samson's mom, who we don't know her name. Samson's mom reminds me of many moms. She seemed to be more spiritually discerning and maybe more spiritual in general than her husband. You could look that up sometime back there in the judges. So, Samson's mom. There was that widow of one of the sons of the prophets in 2 Kings. There was the great woman of Shunem. The Bible calls her great. There was the little maid of 2 Kings 5. There was Elizabeth and Mary, Jesus' mother, and there was Mary and Martha and Mary Magdalene and Lydia and Dorcas and Eunice and Lois and maybe a few more. Are you thinking of some that I missed? Abigail, Abigail. good. More. Oh, we could add Philip's daughters, those four daughters that did prophesy. And... There was Anna. That's just a couple that I thought of since I wrote out my notes. And Eve. All right. Good. Good. There's probably more. There's more. That we could call virtuous women. The Bible doesn't officially call them that, but they're just, we can understand that they were just by what is said about them. And there's more men that have virtuous women surrounding them. I could just name a couple like Norman and Lonnie and Larry and Stanley and Javon and Carlin and Brock and Lincoln and Brenton. Uh, there's one especially of those women I'm thinking of. You know who that is. But then there's their sisters and sisters-in-law and daughters-in-law and aunts. Thank God for every one of those virtuous women you have your own lists, don't you? Thank God for every one of them. Now, the one woman who is called virtuous in Scripture, there in Ruth 3.11, the verse I just read a few minutes ago, who is that lady and who called her virtuous? Well, I told you it's Ruth 3.11, so that's a good clue, right? Boaz says that about Ruth. Ruth 3.11. She's the only one in Scripture that is actually called virtuous. Let's go on and think about 
Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31. We'll be looking at, at that uh, quite a bit here today as we go on. Proverbs, uh, that portion, the portion that John read, verses 10 to 31, is an acrostic portion. It's an acrostic poem, we could say. Acrostic simply means alphabetic. Each of those verses begins with a, a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And you might know that there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, not 26, but 22, and you could count it. There's 22 verses here. Each one beginning with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And it's interesting to me that this... In view here, in Proverbs 31, it is not only mothers, but women in general, and wives, and then mothers. And let's look at it in that order. The outline, women, wives, mothers. Do you see in verse 10 that it talks about women in general? We often think about it as being a wife. But that's not the word there. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. What what do you know about rubies? The last word in that verse, in verse 10. I just quote this from Brenda McGraw, who speaks about rubies. And I quote, Are now considered one of the world's most expensive gemstones. You can expect to pay... Excuse me. You can expect to pay about $15,000 and up per carat for a top quality ruby larger than one carat. It is one of the most beautiful stones created by nature. Rubies are created from corundum, which is a rock-forming mineral. Mineral. Rubies have long been a symbol of wealth and power. Kings wore rubies in biblical times. The forming of rubies and sapphires is linked back to the times of the flood in Noah's day in the Bible. They were formed due to the earth's movement during this period. Some interpret their formation, which was caused by the unique conditions of God's judgment on the earth and the people, to be the reason the gemstones are so rare. Rubies have been known to serve as eternal reminders of God's judgment, Mercy and righteousness, end of quote. And here today, we are especially thinking of rubies, women, and rubies. How women and rubies compare. They're precious. And the word for price, we would say in our modern language, for her price is far above rubies, for her worth is far above rubies. Thank God for so many people, so many women in our midst who are like rubies. I thank God for each of you. Well, let's think about what virtuous means. Who can find a virtuous woman? It carries the idea, in biblical times, it carried the idea of potency or strength, of resources, of power, little different than what we think of it today in our modern language. Uh, we think of, as we think of someone of virtue, a woman of virtue, we think of moral excellence or goodness or character. Both concepts are obvious here in Proverbs 31, both that of strength and ability, but especially of moral excellence and goodness. Look in verses... Verses 11, verse 12, 
and see if you don't see that moral excellence especially. See that in verse 11 and 12 and verse 26. In verse 30, much of the passage has to do with the strength, power, ability type, but look at 11, 12, 26, 30, and notice especially how that, that concept of moral excellence, goodness, character is woven in here. Why would Solomon ask such a question? Who can find a virtuous woman? Well, he had a thousand wives or concubines, you know, and I just suspect that not one of them qualified as a virtuous woman. I, many of them were brought in from pagan neighboring nations. God had expressly said that they are not, that kings are not to multiply to themselves wives, and especially not uh, pagan wives that would draw back their hearts from the Lord. He went ahead and did it anyway. So no wonder it's asked in such a way as if it seems like there's few around and you can just barely, if you're lucky, find one. No, 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 that's not the case. That's not the, maybe it was for Solomon. It's certainly not the case here. I like to think that as he was writing these words, who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies, that, she, that he was thinking of his own great-grandmom, Ruth. Well, Ruth herself, let's just think about Ruth, the lady Ruth, for a few minutes. She certainly personified virtue, whether we think of virtue as being that strength, ability, part or the moral excellence or goodness part, both of those. She personified both of those, both of those aspects so well. I like to think of Ruth in chapter one of the book of Ruth renouncing her old life, her gods, her, those idols and in, verse, in chapter 2, she was requesting. Chapter 1, renouncing. Chapter 2, requesting. Chapter 3, she was resting at the foot of her Redeemer. And chapter 4, she was rejoicing. Or another way of saying that is we could say that she was... Chapter 1 has to do with commitment. Chapter 2, with courtesy. And... For some reason, I appreciate that idea of her courtesy, her requesting. In verse 2 of chapter 2, she says, Let me now go to the field. Isn't that a nice way of saying it to her mother-in-law? Let me go now. She didn't say, I'm going, I'm insisting. Let me go. Courtesy. Politeness. In, chapter, in verse 7, she says, And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers. Again, that same idea of courtesy. Not insisting on her own way or her own rights, but asking in a gentle and a courteous way. Verse 14. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of verse 10. 
Verse 13 is what I want. She says, let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for thou hast comforted me. More of the same there. So chapter 1, commitment. Chapter 2, courtesy. Chapter 3, composure. Chapter 4, contentment. And all of these qualities that we see in her speak well, it really is a working definition, I would think, a working definition of the word virtue. A working definition of virtue and God, Christian godliness. It's kind of like the New Testament truth way back here in the Old Testament. That's what she did. We talked about that. And let me refer back to chapter 2, verse 10, for just a minute. As we think about this epitome of virtue, the woman Ruth, then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? Naomi, back in, verse, in chapter 1, had said, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. And she went on there, here was a, a woman that had been brought up as a Christian, can we say it that way? And she said things like that. She had all the advantages. She knew about God and his word and his ways. And she said, I'm so bitter. And then here along the way comes her daughter-in-law, Ruth, who had been brought up in a terribly ungodly and evil culture, Michael, and knew very little about the truth of the one true God. And she graciously says, why are you so nice to me? And basically she was saying, I'm, you're giving me more than I deserve. Where in effect her mother-in-law had said back in chapter 1, I'm getting so much less than I deserve. One of, those, one of those two is a wonderful example of the idea of Christian virtue. How was God able to do so much with Ruth? How, was, how did that work? Do you think it was because of her pedigree? No, we've already said that it, we know that it wasn't. It wasn't that she had a lot of privileges. You know the story, the parable that Jesus gives in the, Old, in the New Testament about the talents. We know that. There was a servant that was given five talents and he earned five talents more in his faithfulness. There was another who only received two, but he, received, he gained two more. And then there was one who had one, and he acted irresponsibly and unfaithfully and was chastised quite a bit for that. To me, it just seems like Ruth might have been given one talent, but she gained five talents more. Somehow it just seems to me that Something like that could have been the case. Here's a question that I have for you, well, you ladies, since we're talking about women and wives and mothers today, but we could ask all of us, I should ask myself, this is a question that's really unimportant and immaterial. It really doesn't matter, but let me just ask the question, if I may. Are you ready? Here's the question. How many talents have you been blessed with? How many talents has God given you? 
Now let me ask you an important question. This is maybe an all-important question. It has a lot to do with everything. Here's that important question. Remember, there was one that wasn't very important, but here's the, the important one. What are you, here it is. What are you doing about the talent or talents that God has given you? All right, we were thinking about women here, still in verse 10 of Proverbs 31. Let's go on to verse 11. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. So now uh, the text has changed from women in general now to that of being a wife, of wives. And as we look at verse 11, I'd just like to highlight and talk about two words and one phrase. One of those two words is a verb and another one is an adverb. And the verb that I'd like to think about is that five-letter word, trust. Trust. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her. Suddenly, by the way, we're kind of on husband's turf here. And I ask you a question now, husbands. Do you trust her? You know that she has been given you by God. You've been given by God one of the greatest gifts that man can have. She's your help meet for you. That means that she's the help fit for you. She's a complement to you. She, she just fits nicely. She's perfect for you. She is your help meet for you. Um, are you... Are you aware, husbands, that you need help? God arranged that way back in the Garden of Eden when he said, I will make an help meet for him and for Adam, and by extension, you need help. The Bible doesn't anywhere say that a woman needs help, but it does say that a, the man needs help. And I just hope that we are getting that, that men need help. And if you are married, God has provided you with just a perfect one. If you are getting married, God's providing you with just a perfect one, James. And I, is Brendan here? Well, I see James anyway. And how, here's just another question. How can you say that you love her if you don't trust her? Well, Let's quickly move on to the adverb now. And you might notice that the adverb, you know, it ends with an L-Y, safely. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her. Safely. And so a question that we could ask each of you wives is, are you trustworthy? The heart of her husband does safely trust in her. Are you trustworthy? Oftentimes in the Bible, I have noticed that the, when there's lists given, like this long list of attributes of a virtuous woman, like this one, for instance, other places in the Bible where there are lists given, it seems as if the first one is the most important one. It seems as if the first attribute given is the basic one, along with which all the rest then that are given in their turn 
are just kind of parts of underneath the umbrella of the first one. Let me just give you two examples of that. First, the first one is usually the first in importance. In 2 Corinthians 6.4, there's a passage there with a lot of attributes that a minister should have. And the very first one says that the attributes or the qualities that a minister should have is that he should have much patience. And that is the only one in that whole list that has a qualifier, the word much. It's also the first one in the list. And later on in the list, long-suffering is mentioned. And I think that there's three ways that God is emphasizing there that a minister, to be qualified for a minister, has to have patience sticking out of their ears. It's first, it has the much added, and then the long-suffering is added later. In 1 Timothy 3.2, the first... <coughs> Excuse me. Quality of a pastor that is given is blameless. He must he must be blameless, and then all the the rest of the qualities that we look for in pastors are kind of found under that umbrella. If if that is the case, that your husband can safely trust in you then it really doesn't matter too much. Well, then he will, I think that he will, should and even will make quite a lot of allowances for the areas where you think that you don't quite measure up. You know, if your husband can safely trust in you, if he can safely trust in you, then it really doesn't matter if you're not quite the very brightest bulb on the block. It just doesn't matter if you are uncreative and can't do it as well as lots of others. It doesn't even matter too much if your housekeeping is a little sloppier than he would like. If he can safely trust in you. If you have no ear for music like he kind of wishes that you would, it really doesn't matter if he can safely trust in you. So if you're a poor seamstress, and you're an accomplished cook, as in sometimes supper burns and it's never a gourmet cooking, it really doesn't matter if he can safely trust in you. If you're a little bit too plump, if you lack pleasing, a pleasing personality, if you are unpopular in the church, none of that matters if he can safely trust in you. If you don't enjoy entertaining quite as much, if you don't have nice blue eyes, if you have a nice size society of dust bunnies under your couch, none of that matters if he can safely trust in you. Thank God for lots of them like that, lots of women like that here today. I especially got, thank God for one of them. Well, let's think about the phrase, so that he shall have no need of spoil, verse 11. Still in verse 11, he shall have no need of spoil. What does that mean? Well, in Old Testament days, in Bible days, in ancient days, you know, there was often wars, and the, the warrior kind of liked spoils, 
when you went out and fought with somebody and overcame them, then you got to go into their tent and take off with their clothing and their money and those kind of things. It was yours because you had defeated them in battle. So spoils was a sign of... If you had spoils, if you were able to gather spoils to yourself, it meant that you're rich and it also meant that you're significant. You're pretty good at it. When, some, when a husband has a wife in which he can safely trust, there's just no need of spoils. He doesn't have to be rich. He doesn't have to be significant because he has something much better than that. He doesn't need toys. He doesn't need even a lot of spending an awful lot of time in hobbies and recreation and uh, trying to gain in fame and fortune and those kind of things, he shall have no need of spoil when he has a wife in which he can safely trust. Well, let's go on to verse 12. And notice that she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Still talking about a wife now in relation to her husband. And ladies, do you agree? Did you know that your primary responsibility as his wife is to do him good? To do him good and not evil. And if, you th sound, if that sounds kind of rough, just consider the rest of the verse that says all the days of his life. No, all the days of your life, all the days of her life. Uh, so verses 10, verse 10 especially speaks to women. Verses 11 and 12 to wives. Let's switch now and, and notice how the, the rest of the chapter especially is speaking about, oh, mothers. In verse 15, she ariseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maids. I notice that in verse 15 as well as verse 21 and verse 27, the word household is mentioned. Household. Not, not just the house, but the household. The, the whole um, range of responsibilities that she's responsible for, her household. So in verse 15, she giveth, yes, to her household, and then there's a portion, to, and then there's that portion. There's the household, I think that's the big picture, and then she gives, also gives portion, that's the more the details. And ladies are so good at that, many are. There's physical needs in the house. The mundanes, the usuals that are in view and I think being addressed especially in verse 15. There's the big picture, there's the details. Well, let me just say that if I had a quarter for every time that Wanda... Um, was able to see the big picture better than I, and also at the same time take care of lots of details, much more than I have, can, or do, in the last 40 years and 21 days, I would be richer 
than Solomon by now. Except that even though I don't have any quarters, I am richer than Solomon because I have found a virtuous woman, which apparently he was hard-pressed to do. So I thank God for that help meet for me. Verse 21. She's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. If verse 21 speaks about the mundane and the usual, I think that verse 26 alludes to or has special um, speaks of un, unusual situations that come up from time to time. Unusual situations that ask for a little bit more management, a little bit extra skill, a little bit more wisdom than usual. Because snow, occasionally it does snow in Israel, and, and that winter, that snow when a little bit more than usual is necessary. Scarlet. For she's not as scared of unusual situations that call for a little bit more than usual because her household is clothed with scarlet. And different people say different things about scarlet. Some, one says, I noticed, that scarlet actually means double. She... she Make sure that her household is clothed with double garments so they don't get cold. They're in good shape when it snows. Somebody else has suggested that scarlet here, that word scarlet means extra high quality wool. Same difference. She's not as scared of, of unusual situations that call for a little bit more. She has that all covered. And I think also that we could make an application here in verse 21, that, that, that little bit extra, that little bit more that's necessary, also speaks of, of um, spiritual needs and emotional needs, that the extra needs that our children often have. It's easy when extra is called for, to the, for parents, fathers, maybe even mothers, uh, for those extra needs often spiritual and emotional needs to go unmet, but that's not the case with a virtuous woman. Verse 21 speaks of someone who can handle various situations in life. And I just, I read from this article by Anna Ann Strubar. To me, this speaks wonderfully of a woman that is a mother that isn't scared of unusual situations. And I quote, Children come home. Perhaps they have been away with dad, or they were out in the woods playing. Or maybe it is an older child home from work. They step into the house. The clock ticks. The refrigerator hums. There are cookies in the cookie jar, but something feels different. The first question that comes to their mind is, Where's mom? They will search for her. Upstairs, in the basement, in her bedroom, in the barn, in the shop, in the garden. When they find her, they say, Mom, we've been looking all over for you. Mom replies, I've just been out here getting rid of some of these weeds. Do you need something? And they say, No, we just wondered where you are. The children do not need something. They need mom. They want her presence in the house when they come home, when they eat their cookies. They want to talk about things that are important and things that are not important. A child's first love is his mother. 
There is a God-made bond between them. This bond draws a child to his mother, whether she is godly or wicked, and whether she loves him or not. A child, no, no, a mother will influence her child. She has a powerful influence on him to be lent to the Lord or to do wickedly. To cement the bond with her child, to influence him towards God, she will love, listen, and pray. And later on in the article, and I quote again, the toddler who held her our hand and jabbered con- confidingly will be the young man whose eyes light up as you smile across the room at him. Let's go on to verse 27 and notice that, no, verse 26, and notice that she openeth her mouth with wisdom. We understand that. And in her tongue is the law of kindness. The law of kindness. Isn't that kind of an oxymoron? The law of kindness. Well, no, that's right. Real kindness, kindness means good or benevolent nature or disposition with firmness. Uh, Quote, good or benevolent nature or disposition is a definition that I found somewhere. And I would add with kindness. One of the greatest kindnesses that moms or dads can teach their children or can give their children is that no means no. Occasionally a virtuous woman, a virtuous mom, I think, could probably say that, you know, I don't have to answer that question because you know the answer to that question already. That's Something like that in a kind manner is a great kindness to children growing up. The law of kindness. And then we think of verse 27. She looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. The ways of her household. She's perceptive. She understands. She knows what's going on. She knows which way her children are going. Whether those children are younger or older. The ways of her household. She... She spends time with her children. She talks with them. She plays games with them. She laughs with them. She cries with them. She works with them. She, and notice that with word in all of that. Uh, John Koblenz has very well said, and I just quote him once again, that children spell love as T-I-M-E. Verse 28, her children rise up and call her blessed. Blessed. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. And as I think of that verse, I read from an article by Sharon Janes. Breaking in in her an article that she wrote, but I think one of her most notable characteristics, this virtuous woman, was her investment in her children who rose up and called her blessed. This is not an accolade that is earned overnight, but only after daily deposits into the hearts, souls, and minds of children. When I became a mom, a mother, I wondered what exactly this woman did to cause her children to bless her. 
amazingly, I have seen seven key ways to invest in the lives of children that promise great dividends. The seven elements fit the acronym of BLESSED. B-L-E-S-S-E-D. Okay? And, and then Mrs. Janes goes on to say there's seven. B-L-E-S-S-E-D. She is a beacon who is available. A listener who tunes in with all the homing devices God provides. An encourager who instills courage and confidence. A self-esteem builder who lays a foundation of unconditional love. A seed sower who sows seeds of scripture and prayer. And an example setter who understands her children will imitate her actions. Finally, she is diligent. She doesn't give up, she doesn't give in, and she gives her children to the Lord. That sounds like a pretty tall order, but no one ever said motherhood was easy. If it was, I don't think it would start with something called labor. End of quote. Blessed. A virtuous woman, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. I think I am pretty much finished with this examination of Proverbs 31, and I skipped a lot, didn't I? Um, there was just some high points to notice there, and there a lot more could be said. Probably you're thinking about, oh, I wish you would have commented on this, or I would have liked to be able to say this about this phrase. Maybe you could have that opportunity afterwards by talking among yourselves and thinking about and looking at at Proverbs 31 some more. I think I'm about finished, except I do want to do one more thing yet. And you're thinking about your mom and how she has influenced you, but I am the one who's speaking, so I get to talk here just a little bit in closing, if it's all right, about my mom. And you younger ones might not know my mom pretty very well because she's an old lady, you know, she's 87. But she's sitting here today. I'm privileged and blessed by that opportunity to speak about my mom. When I was growing up, uh, some of the things that I remember about her that influenced my life was she would say, probably like your mom says, that things done by halves are never done right. And she would say, where there's a will, there's a way. And that has been a blessing, and those kind of comments have been a blessing in my life all these many years. And one of the, let me just say again, that one of the terrible things that we were not allowed to do in our house was to talk back. There was probably worse things that we could do, but not many. And she taught us that of, not only that you don't talk back, but she taught us so that I think we got it some of the time at least and still do that part of that is you don't talk back to people because you have respect for elders, you have respect for authority, you have respect for other people. uh, She taught me by example, my mom did, that I can dream big. It's fine to dream. It's fine to... Well, she had lots of brainstorms in her lifetime, and some of those never materialized. Uh, 
But some of them did. So it's all right to dream, and if we can't meet all of our goals, that's all right too. The last couple of years since my dad died, my mom has taught me about how that there is a life under Christ of fulfillment and joy in the midst of loneliness and loss. And I am amazed sometimes at my mom that she can have fulfillment in life and enjoy life, enjoy the blessings that God has still given her, even in the midst of the loneliest two and a half years of her life. So with all of that, I say, thank you, Mom. We love you, Mom. God bless you, Mom. Shall we kneel together for prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you most of all for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for salvation in his name. Thank you for forgiveness of sins through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was shed on Calvary's cross. Thank you for joy and fulfillment. Thank you for a hope and a future. Thank you for heaven. Thank you that till we get there, we can live a life by your grace that's pleasing to you. And our prayer is that we could just be faithful in all that you've called us to and all the responsibilities that you've called us to. So whether we are a mother today, here today, or listening in, or a wife, or a woman, or if we're none of those, but are a man. Lord, I pray that we could honor our mothers, those virtuous women within our midst, that we can learn from them, that we can serve you better through the example that they've set, and Lord, we thank you so much for all those women here in our midst today that exemplify virtue. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. Her worth is far above rubies. Lots of people here today. We are so grateful for each and every one. And I pray that for women, oh, young mothers who are busy and stressed with all kinds of responsibility in the home, and older moms who have the privilege of working with older children and adult children with the, the set of dynamics that that brings. I pray for the grandmoms and the great-grandmoms. I pray for all the single mothers that will be getting married someday. And for the single ladies here that will never be married might your blessing be upon each one of them as they live their life um, under the mighty hand of God, looking to you for their help and their hope. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you're coming soon. And we pray, even so come, Lord Jesus. Amen.